Happy NFL Draft Eve or NFL Draft Day, whatever day you are listening to this. And welcome to our first ever On the Clock with Steve Schaup. As you know, On the Clock is Fan Speaks Mock Draft Simulator, and Steve Schaup is our resident NFL Draft expert. So we wanted to record an NFL Draft Primer podcast to get everybody ready for the big day. I'm Megan, and I run Fan Speak with my brother, Steve. Um, so let's get right to it and introduce the man himself. Um, how are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing well. Very excited for tomorrow. Uh, can't wait. I love the draft every year. I know. As your sister, I know this is a, a nice combination of birthday, Christmas, like every cool holiday all wrapped into one weekend. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, today we're not going to do a, a mock draft. There's a lot of those out there. And quite honestly, you can use on the clock to play out different mock draft scenarios. We really want to get Steve's feedback on position analysis and go through some draft hot topics. But before we do that, we wanted to remind you, you can still upgrade to on the clock premium or ultimate GM. Um, it's an annual subscription, so you'll have it for a year. Um, and we even have a no ads version that is an amazing value because it gets you all the premium benefits and you also get to enjoy no ads on any of our on the clock simulators because we do have on the clock um, for NBA draft, NHL draft um, and fantasy football. So keep that in mind. Um, we also want to take this time to thank our loyal on the clock users. We know there's been a lot of other options out there and we've been around since the 2014 NFL draft and we just really appreciate our loyal on the clock users who have been with us since the beginning or found us along the way. So thank you. Um, also remember, uh, we have on the clock live, which is um, on Thursday and Friday for rounds one through three. We are going to be updating the data live after every pick, the player prospects, uh, the draft order, if there are trades, team needs, everything. So you can base draft based on real time data. So be sure to bookmark on the clock live to use during the draft. All right, I think that covers it, Steve. Let's get right to it. Um, we're going to do position analysis first based off your 2020 NFL draft guide. So let's go through each position group and you can kind of explain your grades and selections. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right, so we're going to start with the quarterbacks. And for the 2020 quarterback class, you gave them a strong um, A for the top of the class, of course. And um, for the depth of a cla the, the class, you gave them a B plus. So why don't you explain that a little bit? Well, at the top of the class, especially when it comes to quarterbacks, I'm looking at first-round talents and potential franchise quarterbacks. And uh, typically guys who are going to be in the top half of the first round I think at the top we have Joe Burrow. I think he's the no-brainer number one pick for the Bengals after a brilliant year at LSU winning the national title and uh, just being unstoppable even in SEC, SEC competition. I think Burrow gives the Bengals that franchise quarterback they've been they've been looking for. And right behind him, I think you have Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Herbert as two other potential franchise quarterbacks, uh, guys who should again go in the top 15 picks very likely in the top 10 and uh, you know guys who teams can get behind they might not be day one starters like burrow is likely to be but we'll probably start at some point during the their rookie years uh jordan love is another potential first round option he also could sneak into the top 15 depending on how needs play out and, and how high the other quarterbacks go uh, i think he he's a bit more of a developmental guy but again a guy with the upside to be that franchise caliber quarterback uh from a depth standpoint, I think you do have three guys in that second, third round type range. 
Uh, Jalen Hurts uh, from Oklahoma also, of course, played at Alabama. Uh, I, I think Jacob Eason, who had a brilliant year at Washington, previously was at Georgia. Uh, these are, are highly recruited guys and, and have just done everything asked of them, whatever stop they've been at. Uh, so they're definitely team team first guys. Also, you like that. And Jake Fromm, the guy who uh, is, is the reason why Jacob Eason went to to Washington from Georgia. Uh, he's also in the mix. And I think those are guys, maybe they don't end up starters, but they have a chance uh, they can develop and give a team at least a quality backup. I think later in the draft, there are a few other guys who could fit that bill. Anthony Gordon, James Morgan, uh, Cole McDonald, or a few of the other guys, day three type uh, developmental guys. So just be, be between those three tiers, I think you do have a pretty strong depth as well as that top of the class, which is very impressive. Absolutely. And in the 2020 NFL draft guide for each position, you do have a day three sleeper and you had James Morgan from Florida international as your day three sleeper. Why does he kind of have the highest upside as a day three pick? Uh, I think I like his arm talent. I think he's got good size. Uh, he, he throws the ball well. And I think he's the type of guy who, a quarterback coach is going to like and like to develop. Likely he maxes out as a backup quarterback, but sure. you know, you sure. never know. And uh, if, if the right situation happens for him, maybe he could be more, but I, I think of the, you know, the day three type of guys, he's the guy with the, the biggest upside. Okay. Let's move on to running backs. And, uh, your grade for the top of the class was an A minus. The depth of the class was a B minus. Tell us a little about that. The running backs. So yeah, I really do like the top of this class. I, I don't know if we ha- will have a first round pick, and I definitely don't think we're going to have what we had a couple years ago, where we had two running backs going the top ten with uh, Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey. But I do think you have a str- really strong group of four or five guys. Uh, the four guys that I really love are DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, and Clyde Edwards-Hilar. Uh, I think all four of those guys offer you uh, feature backs, potential um, you know, backs who could do a little bit of everything. I, I think each one offers a little slightly different skill set, so it depends on what team you're talking about or where they might fit in the best. But those are guys who can jump in day one and be you know 1,200-yard backs, uh, many have passing game uh, versatility as well, who can contribute a lot in that department. Even if they are splitting time with a more established backfield uh, or another young back that team has drafted previously, these are guys who are going to be playmakers. I think right behind them is a, a solid, strong group of guys like Cam Akers, A.J. Dillon, uh, Darrington Evans, Zach Moss. Moss is a guy who, if not for the injuries that he'd have, He's had in his college career, he would be in that that top tier. And so he's the type of guy who might really be lightning in the bottle for a couple years, uh, but probably isn't going to be a guy who has the same career longevity. So that's why he's not in my top tier. Uh, I think it thins out a little beyond that. those groups. Um, there's a few intriguing guys, a guy like Antonio Gibson. Uh, he's really just a guy, a weapon out of the backfield. He was a receiver at Memphis, but he's going to be more of a running back, I believe, at the pro level. Uh, he, he's definitely a playmaker, but he's also not a guy who's ever likely to be like a 100 carry or more guy. Um, 
but he's like a 50 to 75 carry, uh, you know, 80 to 100 target type back, helping the return game, just do a lot of everything, and you're probably going to get him in the fifth or sixth round. So he's a guy I like late. Anthony McFarlane's another guy I like late. Uh, offers some upside. You know, and that's the other thing with running back. Running back is a position where it's devalued just because the quantity is so many. From a supply and demand standpoint, there's so much supply of quality running backs. But it's also a position where every year we see running backs produce as rookies and not just first rounders. You know, it wasn't just Josh Jacobs a year ago. I mean, look at somebody like Mattinson who filled in for Dalvin Cook and paired with Dalvin Cook and was highly effective. Uh, I mean, we've seen other mid to late round backs in recent years have tremendous success early in their careers. Guys like James Conner, guys like Aaron Jones, Chris Carson. Um, you know, the the list is pretty deep in that regards, and that's why you can find guys late, and if they get to the right situation, they can be valuable playmakers. So uh, expect expect to see that again this year. Okay. And you mentioned, um, I was going to ask you about your sleeper, you did mention Anthony McFarland from Maryland as your day three running back sleeper. Um, now let's move on to wide receivers, which to no surprise, your grades are an A-plus for the top of the class and an A-plus for the depth of the class. And that is not a shock because I think the 2020 draft class wide receivers has been talked about both at, as a strength at the top of the draft and of how deep it is. So tell us a little bit about, about how you feel about the 2020 wide receivers. Yeah, I, I think this is clearly one of the stronger overall position groups. Uh, to me, it's one of the top three position groups. And it, it's definitely the probably the deepest position group. You really do have... 20-plus uh, guys who look like they can contribute as rookies and, and be starters or significant contributors going forward. Uh, and this is the type of thing where you have the guys at the top who are, who are extremely good. Alabama, twofer of Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, uh, Justin Jefferson from LSU, Denzel Mims from Baylor, Jalen Rager from TCU. Uh, all are expected top 50 picks. I think you but that's the thing is you still have guys like uh, Chenault from Colorado, T Higgins from, from Clemson, uh, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona state. Uh, these guys are also mentioned as top 50 picks. So are we going to see 10 guys in the top 50 at receiver? That seems unlikely. Uh, that just means somebody's going to slide and, and we're not even talking about guys like Chase Claypool, uh, KJ Hamler, um, Brian Edwards from South Carolina, who just had a tremendous college career these are the types of guys who in years past would be easy early to mid second round picks. And now they're going to slide to the third round uh, or, mm. or very late second round just because of this just supreme depth of this class. Uh, and, and it keeps going beyond there. I mean, you got, uh, you know, some developmental guys with, with uh, skills like uh, Donovan Peoples Jones or Antonio Gandy Golden. Um, these guys have size, speed. Gandy Golden really played well. He just played at a lower level. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, in, in another year, he's that, you know, guy who might sneak into the top 50, definitely a top 75 guy. Now he might not be in the top 100. Um, and, and the list really honestly just keeps going on and on. Um, it, the depth of this class, like I said, is just fantastic. I know other, a lot of draft analysts have talked about, I think uh, uh, Dame Brugler has something like, 18 guys in the top 100 or something like that. Right. Um, 
you know, Daniel Jeremiah is around in the same ballpark. So that just shows just how incredibly deep one position and one position that's that's essentially three starters. Most teams uh, are in 11 personnel quite a bit and run three wide receivers. But uh, essentially there's 100, 100 starters in the league and we're talking about, you know, 15 to 18 guys who could be top 100 picks. That's where you find your starters in the draft. These guys are going to fall because there are plenty of teams out there who definitely don't need to draft a receiver this year. Or if they do, it's somebody going to be somebody later. So uh, this is going to be a great year uh, for teams looking for, for late-round receivers and, and even undrafted free agents, I'm sure, are going to get pushed down. So um, you can't beat the depth of this class. The top of this class is strong, is very strong. I, I think some other classes have had a higher upside elite number one receivers, the, you know, the Calvin Johnsons and Julio Joneses of the world, the Larry Fitzgeralds who, who are just day one, I'm going to dominate the league. Uh, I think you have very good receivers in, in Lamb and, and Judy and, and Ruggs. I don't know if they're going to dominate the league. They think they're going to be the like Amari Cooper type guys who are 1,100, 1,300-yard receivers. Might take a couple of years before they really get, get to their prime. Well, so speaking of that, I know everybody's rankings, including yours, um, for wide receivers that, that are in the, the first round rankings are, are tight and close. Who who do you, not necessarily who do you think will go off the board first, but if you were an NFL GM and a receiver haven't has not been taken yet, who would be the first receiver that you would pick? Uh, I think, I think Ruggs has the most unique speed. I think Lamb is probably the safest receiver, and I think Judy is a little bit of everything. Sure. Uh, so it's really going to matter what a team's looking for. Uh, if if the Jets at 11 end up being the first team to take a receiver, I could see them leaning more towards a Henry Ruggs since they just lost their deep threat in Robbie Anderson, and they do have a slot guy, Judy. You'd probably maximize Judy's value by playing him a lot in the slot. They have a slot receiver in Jameson Crowder. Um, not that Judy can't play outside and not that those two receivers couldn't be on the field at the same time, but I, I feel like Ruggs might end up being a higher pick for them than, say, the Raiders at 12 or the 49ers at 13. Uh, not that they wouldn't take Ruggs, but just they might, if they had the cho- choice between all three, they might choose Judy or Lamb ahead of them. Sure. And then as far as the day three sleeper, this is a name that I've heard a lot of buzz lately. Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. What do you like about his game? Uh, I, I think he's steady Eddie. I think he's very dependable. He's going to be a chain mover. Uh, I think he is a guy. He doesn't have great speed, um, isn't going to burn you or, or wow you with his athletic ability, but he just catches everything thrown his way. And, and he's got good size, uh, good hands. Pretty decent route runner. I think he's got a high floor. Um, doesn't have uh, an elite ceiling, of course, but I think he's got a high floor, and he's very likely to contribute and very likely to contribute early in his career. Okay. Well, we're going to go from the top of the class to the bottom of the class. Um, tight ends, your grade for the top of the class uh, is a D plus, and the depth of the class is a C minus. So tell tell me why the tight end position is weaker this year. Well, I think I think for two reasons. I think one, I think you have uh, limited skill sets for this group. You do have a number of guys who project best as pass catcher type only guys, uh, which there, there's definitely a role for that in the NFL. But they're not 
they're not elite athletes. They're not guys who are going to uh, create separation and, and hit the big plays down the seams. These are like your number two tight ends, number three tight ends, uh, guys who get mismatched because they're on the the nickel uh, safety or nickel linebackers covering them, not the number one cover linebacker, number co- number one cover safety on a team. Uh, they're just not guys who are going to produce at the high level. If they're forced to start, a couple might be passable. I do think guys like Cole Komet, Adam Troutman, um, I do like uh, both Hunter and Harrison Bryant um, from uh, Florida Atlantic and uh, Florida International or, and uh, Washington. Um, you know, I think they both have some upsides. All four of those guys have some upsides to eventually be starters. But even still, I see them more as low-end starters. I don't see, uh, you know, the the next Gronkowski from this class. I don't see the next, um, you know, Evan Ingram uh, or George Kittle or Zach Ertz from this class. So I think the even the best guys in this class are likely to be low-end starters. I think most of the guys come that come from this class are max out as tight end twos. Um, and I just don't think it's particularly deep overall. I think... You know, depending on skill sets you're looking for, if you need a really good inline blocker, there's a couple of those. If you just need a, if you have a pretty decent inline blocker and you just could use a little bit more pass catching, there's a couple of those. Uh, but I just don't think a lot of teams are going to really check tight ends off their uh, depth charts of needs after this draft. It, it'll, they can be stop gaps and they can improve teams' depth charts for sure. But a year year from now or two years from now, these teams could be jumping right back into the tight end pool. Sure. Well, let's talk about the offensive line now. As far as offensive tackle um, position group, you gave the top of the class an A and the depth of a, the class a B plus. So tell me a little bit about offensive tackles. Well, I think this is uh, one of the positions that really challenges receiver, both at the top of the class and throughout, I think, uh, at the top of this class, to, for me, I think you have three guys who really stand out as top 10 picks. I mean, we're even hearing rumors that uh, teams could trade up into the top five to land one of these offensive tackles. Uh, Tristan Wirfs is my number one tackle, followed very closely by Jedrick Wills from Alabama and Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Uh, and not far behind him is Mikai Becton from, from Louisville. Uh, that That's an amazing group of the top of the class. I mean, most years, most recent years, we've had one, maybe two top 15 quality offense tackles. We got four this year. And not only that, we got four in a year that is extremely deep across the board. Um, So that just shows they're playing at at an extremely high rate. And behind them, that next group of tackles is really good as well. Josh Jones from Houston, Austin Jackson from USC, Ezra Cleveland from, from Boise State. Uh, they all could sneak in the first round, you know, maybe not all three, but all three are capable. Uh, if not, they're going early second round. And then even beyond that, there's some very intriguing guys. Uh, um, Lucas Niang from TCU, Matt Pert from UConn, Ben Barge, the small school kid from uh, from Division Three St. John's. Um, uh, you know, I think they're, they're in the mix. I think Isaiah Wilson is definitely creeping into the top 50. There are some people who even think he's a first-round talent. He he couldn't even crack left tackle at Georgia because Andrew Thomas was so good. So he's been a right tackle at Georgia. Uh, so that just goes to show you just how deep and talented this class is. I honestly think you could look at 
the the first round talent from the last three drafts and there's that much first round talent in this class so that just shows you how deep it is at, up at the top and, and even throughout yeah and um for your day three sleeper you mentioned alex taylor of south carolina state what do you like about his game that he could be a sleeper well from a size standpoint he he wins so he's six eight uh with right 80 88 86 inch wingspans um you know he at the senior bowl small school guy he showed he could hold his own he needs to work on his footwork a little bit he needs to work his quickness off the snap but that's the size profile that offensive line coaches drool over and if you put him in an nfl program for two years get his functional strength a little better a little better foot speed boy he he could very well be a starting left tackle in a couple of years and one other question about the top of the class those top three or four guys you mentioned are they pretty much plug and play left tackles i think they are and and the thing is i think i, I think pretty much everyone i highlighted is a, is capable of starting as a rookie even some of those second and third round guys uh and many at left tackle so it just really shows how deep and talented this group is Okay. Well, let's move on to the interior offensive line. Um, you gave the grade of a B minus for the top of the class and a B for the depth of the class. So what do you think about the guards and centers this year? I think it's definitely much more center heavy than guard um, focused. Uh, obviously, a couple of these centers could play guards. These are Ruiz and um, uh, I think uh, Tyler Biaides from Wisconsin have both had some experience at guard. Uh but I think those are two really good centers. I think you have Keith Ishmael from South, uh, San Diego State and uh, Matt Hennessy Temple, as well as Lloyd Cushenberry, who's pr- probably personally my favorite center from LSU. Uh, he was he was absolutely instrumental in their national title run. He, he's an incredibly smart guy in a, who's going to be in the middle of your offense for the next 10 years. So um, I think I think that's a strong group. I don't think what holds this group back is I don't think any of these guys are all pros. I think these guys are starters. You know, a couple might sneak into some Pro Bowls and, and be solid players uh, for, you know, eight, ten years. But I don't know if we're talking about uh, the elite of centers of the league coming from this group. And same when, it, when we get to guards. Um, you know, you have a, a, some decent guards, John Simpson, Robert Hunt, uh, Ben. Ben Bredson, Jonah Jackson, a um, handful of others who are guys who can who could probably start, maybe not a, so much as rookies, all these guys, but down the road, be eventual solid starters. I, again, just don't think we're talking about um, guys who are going to be all pros. And that's what kind of holds this back is the floor is okay across the board in these two positions. The ceiling's just not there. Sure. Well, let's switch to the defense side of the ball and start with edge rushers. Um, it's obviously um, highlighted the, by the top of the class um, by, of course, Chase Young. Um, you give the overall top of the class grade a B plus and the depth of the class um, a B. So talk a little bit about the edge rushers in this year's draft class. So. Overall, I like this group. One thing that holds them back is it's not the most athletic group. That that definitely showed through combine testing. Very few guys uh, ran under like four seven, four seven five at, at the combine. The three cones were generally average. 
Um, you know, those are things you look for. You want that burst off the edge. I think you have some a lot more stronger edges. Guys like AJ Epinesa from Iowa, who's a, a powerful edge. He might be also considered a D lineman, depending on what what kind of defense um, uh, ends up drafting him. Chase Young, of course, is where it starts and stops, and he is an elite talent, uh, as good as the Bosa brothers from the last couple of years, as Miles Garrett, uh, as uh, Josh Allen, the the pass rusher who went to the Jaguars a year ago. Uh, he's he's going to be a difference maker on the edge. He's going to be a perennial 10 to 15 a year sack type of guy, get a ton of pressures, uh, similar to Bosa. You know, people forget that. Bosa actually didn't lead rookies in sacks this past year. Uh, Allen and um, Max Crosby from the Raiders both had more sacks than he did. But what Bosa did was he was just causing pressure on almost every snap. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a slight exaggeration, but he blew blew them all away when it comes to his total pressures. And that that's what that's definitely what Chase Young brings. He is that that type of talent, and he's going to make a huge impact on whatever. Uh, team he ends up with right now looks like the Redskins um, and I think there is a very big gap between him and guys like uh, Kay Levon uh, Chason and Yatir um, Grossmatos uh, Zach Bond uh, Ter- Terrell Lewis uh, Josh Uche that, those are kind of like the next tier especially from those speed edge rusher types like I said there's some more powerful um, guys who could be considered edges uh, most notably Epineza from, from Iowa. Um, you know, I think Epineza is a guy who's going to be like an eight sack a year type of guy, uh, really good against the run, um, worthy of a late first round pick for sure, but just shows the, the gap between him and the very top of Chase Young. So that, that kind of impacted both the top of the class grade and the depth of the class. I think you'll have a lot of good secondary rushers uh, or guys who are situational rushers, you know, your third rusher on a team, um, Bradley and I, uh, Kenny Wilkes, um, the, both of the Florida uh, Florida edge guys fall in this category. Both of the Notre Dame edge guys, I think, fall in this category. I just don't think you're going to see a lot of, you know, 10, 12, 15 sack a year type guys coming from this group beyond Young and maybe one or two others. Sure. Well, now let's talk about the interior defensive line. And you gave the top of the class an A minus and the depth of the class a B plus. So talk a little bit about um, the interior defensive line. Yeah, uh, this this is definitely a position that's not getting talked about enough about how just talented it is. I think you sure. have two bona fide top 10 guys in Derek Brown from Auburn and Javon Kinlaw from uh, from South Carolina. But beyond that, I mean, you have a really strong group. Um, guys like Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma, uh, Jordan Elliott, Missouri, um, uh, you know, it goes on and on. There, there's a number of guys who are going to get taken in the top two, two rounds or, you know, a couple of these guys might get pushed to the third rounds, but these guys are difference makers in the, in the middle of your defensive line. Uh, some are a little better against the run, um, but many can, can still generate the pass rush that you're looking for. If you're looking for an Aaron, Aaron Donald, he's not here. I don't know if he'll ever be back in the draft. Uh, <laughs> he's just he's just so unique. But I think you can have guys who uh, absolutely are the difference makers along defensive line, interior defensive line, get you know six to nine sacks a year, a good bit of pressure, stop the run well, 
um, just keep that keep that defense uh, ahead of the curve, so to speak. And and this is a strong group. Uh, Brown and Kinlaw are, are a cut above the rest, but like I said, if you're if you interior defensive line needs, you should find plenty of guys in the second and third rounds for sure. All right, and another strong um, position you have uh, graded is linebackers. You've graded the top of the class in A plus and the depth depth of the class in A. And of course, it's highlighted by Clemson's Isaiah Simmons. But tell us a little bit about Simmons and the rest of the linebackers. Well, I mean, Simmons just boils down to the ultimate jack of all trades. I mean, this guy played right. safety. He played nickel corner. He played linebacker. He can do it all. Um, I mean, he can cover deep. He can cover tight ends, running backs. It, it's tough to see who he couldn't cover. Uh, he's also a tremendous blitzer. We saw that all throughout his Clemson career. Um, he's good against the run because he's, he can be very instinctive as well. I think you have a very, very elite linebacker here. Uh, I I don't think he uh, fits the traditional linebacker mold, but I, you don't need him to. Like He is just a, a defensive weapon. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, beyond him, though, you have a very athletic group of linebackers, both some guys in that first round range as well as a number of guys in that second and third round group. Guys like Kenneth Murray, um, Logan Wilson from Wyoming, Malik Harrison from Ohio State, uh, Patrick Queen, um, and Jordan Phillips, both LSU. I mean, they're both LSU is going to have two top 100 linebackers. Uh, or very likely could have two top 100 linebackers. Akeem uh, uh, Davis-Gaither from Appalachian State, is he's basically the Isaiah Simmons light. Um, <laughs> he did everything at App State. <coughs> Excuse me, had, had a million tackles and, uh, you know, just flies over the field. So um, the, the athleticism and talent in this class, I didn't even mention Jordan Brooks or Willie Gay Jr., uh, you know, the list just goes on and on. And, and you compare it to a year ago where you had the two Devons, Devin White um, and Devin Bush, who went in the first round. But after that, the class fell off tremendously. Like there, you know, there ended up being a couple of solid guys who went throughout the rest of the draft, as there will be every year. But this year's class just far exceeds what we've seen um, in recent years, both from top of the top of the level of having likely a couple first-round picks, uh, and notably Isaiah Simmons, who's pretty much a lock for the top 10, if not top 5, and then the depth. I mean, I, I think you're having starting caliber back linebackers taken in the second, third, and even fourth round. Right. Well, let's move on to the secondary. And um, for the cornerbacks group, you have graded the top of the class a B and the depth of the class a B-. minus. So talk a little bit about the, this year's cornerbacks. Yeah, you know, as I... I've looked more into it. I'm probably even higher. I'd probably bump up both of those grades if asked to do it again. I, uh, sure. I think Jeffrey Akuda is, is clearly an elite talent and that right there should have, should bump up the top of the class even higher than, than I acknowledge. Um, there is a gap between him and the next group of corners, but there, that next group of corners, you have CJ Henderson from Florida, uh, you know, guys like Jeff Gladney, uh, from TCU, Christian Fulton from LSU, AJ Terrell from Clemson, Damien Arnett, uh, who who was Jeffrey Kuda's teammate at Ohio State. Uh, but the list keeps going on and on. I mean, guys like Cam, Cam Cameron Dansler, um, 
uh, and uh, Diggs, Tavon Diggs from Alabama. I mean, these are top 50, top 60 talents. That, that's a big, strong group. And there's a couple other guys who are likely to get in that mix as well. And, and honestly, from a depth perspective, uh, guys like Darnay Holmes from UCLA and, and Troy Pride Jr. from Notre Dame uh, are absolutely in the mix of, of being corners who could be had in the third, fourth rounds who can contribute and start as rookies. So, again, I probably bump both of those groups, up, both of those grades up a little bit just looking at it and, and reflecting more uh, from recent cornerback classes. It's not the strongest cornerback class. Uh, I think you really only have the one elite starter in Jeffrey Okuda, but he is elite. Uh, but I think you're going to have another six to eight starting corners come from this this uh, top of the class within the top 100 and a few others who have the potential to end up there down the line. All right, well, let's round it out with the safety class. Um, you'd given the top of the class a B minus and the depth of the class a C plus. So tell us a little about the safeties. The safety class, I gave a B minus because while I do feel like there is a solid group of six, seven safeties at the top of this class, I don't know if there's any elite safeties. There's not a Jamal Adams. There's not a uh, Derwin James type in this class um there are a couple guys who might end up being second third rounders who have that potential uh notably guys like small school guys like kyle duggar and jeremy chin i think fall into this mold um but i I just don't see they come with some risk they they're kind of from very small programs while they've looked the part at both the senior bowl and the combine you know, the NFL can be a different animal. And since they just weren't tested that much in college and, and they were able to solely rely on their just elite athletic ability versus the level of talent that they faced, they might have a bit more of a learning curve. But I do like this class, Xavier McKinney from Alabama, Ashton Davis from Cal, uh, Antonio Winfield Jr., um, obviously the bloodlines there uh, from Minnesota, all make other strong safeties. Grant Delpit from LSU is another good solid safety there's some tackling issues there but uh you know a guy who i think is going to be a, a good solid starter at this level so like i said you have a good group at that top six seven i'm not sure if any of these guys end up all pros you know or are the the earl thomases that you're hoping for and that could be fine but you know getting six seven starting safeties is pretty good um i do think it begins to fall off there's a few later round guys, Antone Brooks Jr., Kayvon Wallace, um, as day four, day five, or I'm sorry, round four, round five type guys. They're interesting. I think they have some upside. Um, definitely could maybe be third safeties on teams, guys who play in, in certain packages and get on the field. Uh, but I, I don't think it's, this is as strong as a lot of the other positions. Okay, well, I think that was an excellent um, recap on um, your position analysis from your 2020 draft guide and kind of gives a good primer for folks. Um, Now let's move on to NFL draft hot topics and get just kind of your quick takes on on some different things that, you know, you see, you read on Twitter, you, you know, hear people talking about. Um, And we're going to start with quarterbacks, of course. Uh, We know that Joe Burrow is going to be a Cincinnati Bengal tomorrow. Um, but then the next three, let's talk about what you think or where you think are the best fits for the next three 
highest ranked quarterbacks? And we'll start with with Tua first. Where is it started in with the Dolphins, or do you see another fit for him? I definitely think the Dolphins could take Tua, but I am leaning towards the Dolphins passing on him and uh, Tua falling to the Chargers, or or perhaps the Chargers trading up for Tua. Um, I think from the Chargers' standpoint, while Tua carries a little bit extra risk from risk from his injuries, his upside is obviously extremely high. I think his name recognition is huge, and I think that's what the Chargers need. Uh, they don't have the same level of fan base that they used to have in San Diego, um, and they're you know they're sharing a city with the Rams, and the Rams you know, were in the Super Bowl two years ago. Uh, the Rams. Uh, you know, our playoff caliber team where the Chargers are picking in the top 10. So um, I think they're they're entering this new stadium. I think they want a bigger name and they could use a bigger name. So I could see, I think Tua fits them well. I also think Tyrod Taylor being there allows the Chargers not to have to rush Tua. Um but when they do put him in there, he's got weapons. I mean, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams outside, Austin Eckler at running back, Hunter Henry uh, at tight end. That's a good, solid group. So um, I, I like Tua there. Uh, for for Herbert, I like the Dolphins. I, I think there's okay. going to be some dots connected there. Again, maybe they trade up. Maybe it's pick, they pick him at five. Maybe they trade back. Or maybe they, they use their other first-round picks to come up and have two top ten picks. Uh, you know, say a left tackle and uh, and Justin Herbert. So that's where I see those those two with the best fits. Okay, and then let's round it out with where do you see the best fit being for Jordan Love? Well, Jordan Love, I, I do think he needs some developmental time. Um, so I would love to see him go to, say, a situation like uh, the Saints. Um, You're right. That would make a lot of sense. Uh, I, I also think the Patriots – while they probably could use a quarterback right away, um, Bill Belichick is probably smart enough to know to develop love correctly and properly. And also, you know, you, the Patriots culture is they find ways to win whatever they, they need to. So they're built to run the ball right now. Uh, that'd be perfect for Jordan Love. So I, I do like that bit. All right. Now let's talk a little bit about players that we're hearing that could be moved during the draft. Which players do you think most likely actually will be traded during the draft? And of course, by the time you listen to this, maybe some one or two of these guys already have been traded, but which players do you think are most likely moved? Yeah. So I I think obviously uh, with Gronkowski going to Tampa, I think OJ Howard's clearly on the block. Um, And with it being a weak tight end class, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to get traded at some point this, this weekend. Uh, Trent Williams, it's a strong offensive tackle class, but he is an all-pro. And uh, especially if you're a team uh, like Tampa, like Seattle, with these playoff aspirations, uh, or in Tampa's case, also an older quarterback, getting an all-pro maybe makes more sense than drafting the guy who has all-pro potential, but it might be a year or two. So, right. Um, but any number of teams could, of course, use Trent Williams. Offensive, offensive tackle has been thin for years. Like I said, the the last few drafts have been very poor in terms of offense tackle prospects. So a lot of teams have need there. Um, uh, so I, I absolutely could see Trent Williams getting moved. I think it's a little less likely, but Jamal Adams, I think, is an intriguing 
guy to get moved. There's a lot of talk with the Cowboys. Uh, they had that 17th pick. That might be enough to, to get you Jamal Adams, like 17 and a third or something like that. Um, yeah, you know, if the Jets are, are looking to move on from him, I wouldn't move on from him, but it does sound right. like there's some smoke there. Uh, Jaguars appear like pretty much everyone's open. You know, they're open for business on just about anyone. They absolutely could could move Fournette or Yannick. Um, you know, they're, they're a franchise defensive end or, or a couple other guys, I'm sure. So sure. those seem to be the hot spots to look at. Okay. Now let's talk about on-the-clock user data. One unique thing about our on-the-clock mock draft simulator is we're able to track the user data. And we have presented a lot of, um, of that data in the last couple of weeks. Uh, what, what user data do you think in particular stands out to you um, and why? Well, one thing I uh, I looked at what users were taking at different positions, and one thing that really surprised me was looking at receivers, um, specifically guys like Chenault from Colorado and Higgins from Clemson. Even though they've been highly rated all throughout the process, they are still highly rated on a number of well-known big boards out there, including some still with first-round grades. Right. Uh, th- though some have fallen to more like mid second, early to mid second round, they are not popular among user selections. Um, wow. And that, that surprised me because, sure, I, I figured they'd be less popular than the top three guys, but they're they're behind guys like Denzel Mims, Jalen Rager, um, Brandon Ayuk, Michael Pittman, guys like that. So that really surprised me that users are just fine letting a computer team take them instead of saying, hey, you know, I have you know, uh, an early pick in the second round and my team needs a receiver, uh, be it the Bengals, the Colts, I mean, any number of teams in the early second round could use a receiver. They're not taking a, a T. Higgins or a Chenault. Um, so that that definitely threw me. I, I also, the same ended up applying for Derek Brown. I mean, Javon Kinlaw, again, these are two widely regarded top 10 quality tackles. Um, and Kinlaw is being taken more than Brown by three times as often. Wow. So, so uh, you know, for teams like, you know, user teams, say it's the Jaguars or the Panthers or, um, you know, some other team in that top 10, top 15 that has an option, typically they're going to have the option for both of them and they're just not opting for Brown. So uh, those are some, some interesting things. I, I get some of these guys in tests as well or they didn't test at the Combine. And there is some concern about their athleticism, but I feel like that might be a little too overblown. These are these are very talented players that users just don't seem to be as excited about. Yeah, well, and be sure to um, check out. Um, we have an on-the-clock data on the top of our nav bar. Click there, and you can see all the different on-the-clock data um, that we have pulled that may be interesting, and you'll find your own interesting nuggets. Um, now we're going to move on to one of my favorite things. Every year we hear the quote on Twitter, no way that's happening. No way that this guy is going to fall out of the top five, out of the top ten, out of the first round. But every single year there are surprises and players that do fall unexpectedly. You can have the the guys that made them pay for it, like Aaron Rodgers, or the guys that should have been drafted way later, like Johnny Manziel. But every year, at all different positions, there are guys that and prospects that fall. 
and are a big surprise. So let's play a fun game with the no way that's happening quote, and you kind of tell me what you actually think might happen. Um, and obviously we don't know, but this is just kind of your your best guess. So first, um, but before we do that, why don't you tell us some of the reasons why players do unexpectedly fall every year? I know there are various reasons. Yeah, and, and some are simply uh, health concerns or off the field concerns. Uh, that can definitely play a factor into some of these players. Uh, I I think the biggest reason, though, is you have 32 different big boards out there. Each team has their own big board. And on each team, you have disagreements. So, you know, while, uh, for an instance, last year, DK Metcalf and, and um, A.J. Brown, who were both widely regarded as first-round talents, both go to the second round. You know, it wasn't a strong year for a receiver overall, but those two guys were were thousand yard rookie receivers. And, uh, you know, I think teams outsmart themselves and even teams that, you know, like the Patriots who took Nikhil Harry in the first round. Why did they not take DK Metcalf? Why did they not want to give Tom Brady that weapon? Clearly, they had Harry rated higher. Um, You know, obviously, many others and many analysts did not. It's just the way it is. Um, I also think in, in that specific situation, a lot of teams outside the Patriots last year at the end of the first round didn't have a major receiver need. Uh, so, you know, guys like Metcalf and Brown were clearly not top 10, top 15 guys, really. So once you got to teams that were kind of in that 20 to 25 to, to even, you know, to 32 range, they just didn't have a, a huge need at, at receiver. They had either signed guys, traded for guys, or had guys that in the past that they were already set with. So that led to somewhat of a slide. I mean, Metcalf slid really late into the second round, so that was just a huge shock. But it, it's uh, a needs factor, how the board is, is organized, and, of course, the, the off-the-field or injuries that, that we don't always know as draft analysts. Right. Well, I think that's a great explanation. And again, we don't know who it's going to happen to this year, but there will, I can almost guarantee there will be some surprises. So let's just play a quick fun game and you give your best guess. So no way Tua falls out of the top five. Uh, What percent chance would you give that of happening? Uh, I actually think there's a, there's a solid chance of it happening just because I, I think very well, the Dolphins either at five, uh, or trading up, and if the Dolphins trade up for, say, Herbert, then the Chargers wouldn't necessarily need to trade up into the top five for, for Tua. So um, I would say there's maybe a, a 30% chance of him falling out of the top five, but probably very unlikely he falls out of the top ten. Sure. Okay, and now let's talk about um, the top ten. We hear the quote, no way he falls out of the top ten. Name a couple players that are widely regarded as top ten picks. But, you know, a player or two, that it wouldn't be a surprise if they slid out of the top ten. I think two that come to mind are Derek Brown, like I said. Who you mentioned, uh, yeah. Who I mentioned. I think there are some teams who are going to be higher, but because he didn't test as well athletically, other teams who have an interior defensive line need. Uh, one could obviously opt for Javon Kinlaw. And uh, two, just there, there's other talented positions. The other one I'd point to would probably be Jedrick Wills from Alabama. I think of the three top tackles, he's the most, um, he's the widest range. He kind of came 
really came on this past year. He pretty much played only right tackle in his college career. So, you know, you're you're already talking about projecting him over to left tackle. I mean, Worst played a lot of right tackle also. Uh, but I, I just feel like Wills could easily slide behind Andrew Thomas and maybe Mikai Becton as well. Um, so I could see Wills maybe slide to like 15, some something like that. And that wouldn't be a huge shock. But the you know the two guys I just mentioned could easily go in the top seven picks. So um, that that's what makes this draft fun. Absolutely. And then finally, no way he falls out of round one. Now, obviously, this is going to be more wide ranging um, number of players, just like you mentioned the two wide receivers last year. But you know we do see on Twitter when people share their mock drafts. Well, no way he falls out of round one. Um, you know, name a few players that 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 very well could happen to, despite them having first round grades. Yeah. Well, I think uh, for one thing, as I talked about before a little bit about the receivers, I think the the top three receivers, Judy lamb rugs, I think they're first round locks, but there's like six, seven guys who, you know, a lot of media have pushed down guys like Higgins and Chenault, but I wouldn't be surprised if teams still love them. So if teams at the end of the round one decide to, we're going to take these guys instead of, say, Denzel Mims or Rager, um, guy, you know, guys who or Justin Jefferson. Those three have kind of moved up the draft boards recently. Right. So you easily could see some of those guys slide out of the first round because teams still need receivers late in the first round, but they're taking guys who they were maybe higher on, like Higgins and Chenault. Uh, safety is a whole position. We might not see a safety in the first round. Right. Um, or we could see three safeties in the first round. We could see Xavier McKinney, Winfield, and, and maybe Chin or Duggar, uh, given their upside. So, uh, you know, like it, you could have a case where you have an early second round pick and Xavier McKinney, who's widely considered a top safe, you know, the top safety in this class, is still available. Um, sure. And and one other one, and I think I think he is maybe due for a slide is Patrick Queen. He really came on was was fantastic for LSU down the stretch. Uh, but I do think there's questions about his overall production. And again, while he's fast and can cover, so can about 10 other linebackers in this class. So what makes Patrick Queen so much better than a guy like uh, Jordan Brooks or uh, uh, Malik Harrison or Logan Wilson or, or any number of these other second, uh, you know, or potential early second round guys? And so Queen could easily slide out of the first round and he might end up being linebacker five or six um, when yeah, it's all yeah. said instead of linebacker two. But, or he could end up linebacker two. I mean, I think I just think there's a wider range. I think he's the type of guy who probably got hurt by with, with everything that's going on, not having, um, you know, the full pro day structure, right. not having all the workouts, not having all the interviews. That's going to hurt somebody like Patrick Queen, who doesn't have four years of tape to back it up and who didn't sure. play at the senior bowl. Well, finally, let's talk about some of your day two and three um, sleepers and steals. So who, I mean, just name a couple players. It doesn't have to be, you know, certain positions. Just who are kind of your favorite guys, your favorite prospects and names that, you know, if it was the Redskins, you'd be like, wow, they really got a steal there. Who are some of your day two and three sleepers and steals? Well, one of my favorites and in this stacked receiver class is Chase Claypool. I mean, this is a guy, sure. he's 6'4", six, he's six, 230. And he ran a four four, um, <laughs> and you know his, his his numbers are incredible. And you know, I mean, that's 
That's what uh, that's what DK Metcalf did a year ago. Uh, you know, you look at Chase Claypool and his athletic testing is very similar to say a Mike Evans. Um, he is not as polished as Mike Evans, but he's got that upside. I mean, he can he has got elite deep speed. He's he's physical. He can jump. Uh, I think he needs to work on some of his nuance, um, and I think he can even be more physical than he even showed in college. But he was just you know, he just had a terrible offensive system. So he's definitely one of my favorite day two guys. Uh, Isaiah Wilson, uh, offense tackle from Georgia, is another one. Like I said, he gets overlooked because of just how amazing Andrew Thomas was. Uh, more of a day three type of a guy. Uh, let me give you one or two real quick. Um, I think, um, again, going back to the receiver group, K.J. Hill from Ohio State, uh, he just was so impressive at the Senior Bowl. Catches everything thrown his way. He's pretty much a slot only guy, but he's gonna be a you know a good slot receiver in this league. I feel like, and uh, just with how deep this class is, he's getting pushed down. Um, and you know, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, I like Keith Ishmael, um, center from San Diego State. Probably taken late fourth round, early fifth round. Might need a year, but then I think he can start. Uh, so that just shows you. And then one other guy, uh, Devian Taylor linebacker from Colorado, uh, again, going back to just how deep this linebacker group is, he's a guy who um, didn't really play college football, uh, I'm sorry, didn't really play high school football because uh, of just how he was raised, uh, finally got the chance, um, you know, went, went the JUCO route, uh, got the chance to go to Colorado, so he's extremely raw, he, he's really only been playing uh, football um, to, significantly organized football these last couple of years and uh, only a couple of years at Colorado, but he's so athletic, athletically gifted. Uh, again, another guy who's almost athletically gifted as Isaiah Simmons, and he's going to go around five just because he's so raw, but uh, give him a year or two. He'll be great on special teams up until then. And then if you develop him directly, he could be a starter. Okay. Well, thank you, Steve. This has been so informative, so much fun. Um, what, what closing thoughts do you have for our on-the-clock users and, and NFL draft fans going into um, draft day? Well, I do worry that this is going to be a, a very um, crazy draft with sure. hopefully, technolog- hopefully not technological issues, difficulties, but who knows? And I just think it's going to be it's going to be tough to make trades and, and, and things of that nature, but uh, this is a extremely deep class. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of high upside elite players on both sides of the ball, as well as just strong strong depth through say the top four rounds. Uh, much stronger than the last couple of years from a depth standpoint, and you have the elite talent to go with it as well. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us for our very first On the Clock with Steve Schaub. And don't forget to use On the Clock Live Thursday and Friday night during the draft to continue making your picks based off real-time data. Um, And we will be back early next week to do a 2020 NFL draft recap. So everybody enjoy the draft, stay safe, and we will see you next time.